0: Coming up on Please Bear With Me, how does Baylor respond to a big loss versus Duke? Tom Keegan previews Kansas, and Paul Catalina helps me break it all down. Here is Please Bear With Me. Welcome back, welcome in for another edition of Please Bear With Me, your go-to podcast for all things Baylor football. My name is Scotty Swingler and I'm happy to be joining you this week as we wrap up what was a very, very difficult loss against a very good Duke team and look ahead to what could be a surprisingly competitive game this coming Saturday against the Kansas Jayhawks who are 2-1. and one, have won two games in a row for the first time since 2011. We've got a lot to talk about as we look forward to that. So I want to start by reacting to this past weekend's loss to Duke, and let me start by giving you a little bit of insight into my schedule and what my life is like on a weekly basis. So I am in seminary six hours beyond full time, so taking a lot of classes. I work two jobs part-time outside of doing this podcast and writing for Bears Illustrated. So I'm a youth minister as well as working for a company on Baylor's campus. And so my routine so far this season has been on Sundays after church, I will go home. I will sit down and look at all the recap and the stats from the previous day's game, which I just watched. And then I will do everything with this podcast so I will record my segments I will do interviews with other people if they're available that Sunday afternoon and then I will do all the editing and stuff in post-production takes me about six to eight hours depending on what's going on every Sunday that's kind of been my routine for the past few weeks that's worked really well this week was hard And it was hard for a few reasons. It was hard because I was dealing with some personal stuff on Sunday, so I did not have time to record my own segments. I did record two segments, which we will have later in the episode with two other guys. And then I did not know how I wanted to react to what we saw this past Saturday. I think I got very emotional. In moments, I was very angry, very concerned, confused, frustrated. Those are all... Valid emotions that I felt in response to Saturday's game, both Saturday night and through Sunday and even Monday. And so now I'm sitting here on a Wednesday recording this, trying to process through what we saw and how I felt and the proper way to respond to what went down this past Saturday and optimistically look ahead to this Saturday because I do think Baylor will bounce back this Saturday. I'll say that up front. And so I thought of several different cute ways that i could do this segment and talk about the game that we just saw this past saturday against duke i I thought of several different thoughts and ideas i wanted to share but i think there's only two that i really feel i need to share and then we're going to move into a segment where i talked with paul catalina on sunday recapping the game and that is where you'll get most of like analysis and breakdown and stuff that I have for this week Paul and I both kind of hashed some things out we talked about coaching we talked about play on the field we talked about the trajectory of Baylor football and then you'll hear my phone conversation with Tom Keegan Tom writes for KUSports.com as well as the Lawrence Journal World he has been doing that for 14 years and so he covers the Jayhawks and gave uh, some really good insight on Puka Williams on just that team and and how they've managed to get two wins and what's going on in Lawrence. And so I hope you'll enjoy those two segments. Before we get there, let me get my two cents out here. Two things that I just want to touch on from this past Saturday, and then we'll get into those segments. So the first thing I want to talk about is this. The truth is often somewhere in the middle. Have you noticed that in life? There's almost always two very, very strong poles, especially when you're talking about issues that aren't black and white and things that are very highly opinionated, and the truth is often in the middle. There's a reason that when police officers are trying to reconstruct a crime scene during an investigation, they go interview multiple witnesses. They interview suspects, multiple. They interview everybody who might have anything to do with what went down in that crime because they have to find the truth, which is somewhere in the middle of all those stories. The truth is almost always somewhere in the middle. Another good example, and it's kind of appropriate today with the story that came out, and I won't touch on this too long, and and you heard me last season rant about my feelings for Art Bryles, and I hate that it's come up again this week, but it has. The truth is somewhere, in that situation, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Okay? The truth is somewhere in the middle. Did the football program have a culture where players were not held accountable for their actions and, for some of them, assault against women? Yeah. Was it a wider university problem? that guys like Reagan Ramsauer and Board of Regents members had a hand in as well, and did they try to put some of that responsibility they should have taken onto the football program? Yes. It's a both-and situation. The truth is somewhere in the middle. You've got football coaches pointing at admin. You've got admin pointing at athletics. You've got Title IX falling somewhere in there. The truth is somewhere in the middle, okay? So when we look at this past Saturday... There's a multitude of reactions, but a lot of the visceral tweets I saw, uh, a lot of the disappointment that I've felt from Baylor fans has come taking aim at the coaching staff, particularly Matt Rule, the head coach. And I want to say to all of you that the truth is somewhere in the middle here. So, after a disappointing loss like that, should the head coach take the heat? Yes. And Matt Rule did. I'm going to give him props. Immediately after the game, he said, this game's on me. Okay? You got to give Matt Rule this. He's a man. He's honest. And I do admire him for immediately taking the blame for the game. Okay? On the other hand, can you completely blame the coaching staff for drops Can you blame the coaching staff for players missing assignments that I'm sure the coaching staff is drilling into them, right? The coaching staff is not trying to leave their players short on knowledge, right? So can you blame the coaching staff for an underperformance of play, for players coming out of the tunnel and looking lackadaisical and overwhelmed? I think you can blame some of that on the coaches, but I think a lot of that blame has to be on the players, They're the ones on the field, right? Now, on the other end of the spectrum, is it fair to question Matt Rule? Because 15 games into his time at Baylor, there still is no clear offensive identity. Baylor still struggles with the exact same issues they struggled with since game one of his time. You know, I think some of those questions are fair. I in particular think that my biggest question involving Matt Rule is his decision to hire a buddy, Jeff Nixon, to be the play caller and the offensive coordinator when he had never done it before, and I think he is overwhelmed. I I don't think he has figured out what he's doing, and I think you see that on the offensive side of the ball, and I think Matt Rule's stubbornness on we're going to run the football, we're going to be a power team, we're going to be a pro-style team. I think that doesn't help matters either. But I mentioned to someone the other day, there's two or three guys on this staff who I would rather have calling plays at this point than Jeff Nixon. Glenn Thomas, Sean Bell, Joey McGuire. But, you know, it's easy for me to sit here as an outsider, as a fan, and say that. Who knows what goes on in that building? And who knows how great of a job or not great of a job Jeff Nixon, Matt Rule, and those guys are doing. But the point is that's one end of the spectrum, right? One end is to ask all the questions. The other end is, like I mentioned, is it on the players? Like how much of this do we put on the players? And the other end of this is this, and this is what I have to keep reminding myself because if you saw my Twitter feed, I I was calling out coaching. I was questioning decisions. But Matt Rule can coach. Like, the guy has proven he's a good football coach. You can't go do what he did at Temple unless you are a hell of a football coach, right? You can't go do what he did at Temple unless you know what you're doing, unless you know how to recruit. By the way, he's proven he knows how to recruit. He's already recruited better at Baylor in two classes, really one and a half classes, than Bryles did, And that was one of Bryle's strengths, was recruiting Texas, right? Matt Rule has put together two excellent recruiting classes. The talent, the young talent on this team is overwhelmingly good. And he knows how to coach. He did it at Temple. I think he'll do it whenever he chooses to move on from Baylor. I think he'll be successful. I hope he's successful here, obviously. But to say that he doesn't know what he's doing or that he can't coach is unreasonable and I've said that before right let me just take the blame and admit I've been wrong and I've been overly critical and I'm one of those ones that said Matt Rule can't coach he can coach like the dude knows what he's doing and so the truth is somewhere in the middle here the truth is somewhere in the middle Matt Rule's a good coach I think he wants what's best for Baylor I think he's doing the best he knows how with the talent he has on the other hand, I think it's fair of fans and of those of us who are in the media, and I use that term loosely because I'm probably halfway fan, halfway media at this point in my life, right? It's fair for us to question and ask for better. It's fair for us to ask for better. But that leads me to my second thing I wanted to talk about before I move into these two segments with the other gentlemen who will be joining me on this podcast today. It's fair for us to ask better of coaches and of players. I am not okay ever with Baylor fans booing their own football team. And I thought for, you know, for 4 days now if I wanted to say this on the podcast and I do. So you guys probably know I I advocate strongly for Baylor fans to stay from the first singing of the Baylor line through the last singing of the Baylor line, I want Baylor fans there all four quarters. That's not what I'm going to harp on. I got more upset this past Saturday hearing fans boo our own team. And I think it got under Matt Rule's skin, too. If you heard his press conference on Monday, and I quoted the whole thing on my Twitter page at Scotty Ross Swing. Matt Rule went after the people that booed those players, and he basically said, if you knew what these guys endured every week from opposing fans on the road, and I can only imagine, y'all, I do not want to think about the names and the curses and the atrocious things that are shouted down on those players when they go on the road. It's rough. And they still put on your school and my school's colors and name and wear it proudly and show out for Baylor. Yes, some of them are just trying to get to the NFL. But, y'all, these players are unpaid. They work way harder than you and I can comprehend. As you know, you and I are not Division I athletes, they work way harder than we can understand. We pay an entrance fee for them to entertain us on a Saturday, right? They represent our school, even though right now that is not the best name to wear on a jersey. I do not understand how anybody who claims to love and support Baylor can boo those guys for making mistakes for making mistakes in a game I make mistakes at my job often you probably do too these guys are doing what they do for Baylor for Baylor's profit for our enjoyment and they don't get paid for it don't boo it's, it's really that simple And I had some people firing back on me on Twitter, we're booing the refs. That's fine, boo the refs. I booed the refs Saturday. People were still booing the players in moments, especially at the end of the first half. And I know the effort didn't look great. And I know passes were dropped. And I know mistakes were made. But if your boss fired you and told you they didn't believe in you just because you made a mistake or two in your job, yo, we'd all be pretty hopeless and so don't boo these players if you're going to boo the players don't come to the game you can boo them from home i don't i don't give a rip what you do in front of your own tv screen right but if you're going to walk into that stadium and say we support you we're behind you we're wearing the same colors as you thank you for representing and competing for our university don't boo those guys after everything that's happened in waco and on that campus And so many of us love that school and fight for that school and champion that school, right? To boo the program and the players who are trying to do things the right way, to do things with integrity, to overcome the mistakes that were made in the past, I don't think it's right. And I would say to any of you who booed our Baylor-Bear football team, shame on you. There's no excuse for it. And I got in fights on Twitter about it. You can go read them if you want. And I'm not saying I'm perfect when I get emotional at football games and, and send out tweets, but I'll stand by that one. Don't boo these guys. So. I know I promised this season I wouldn't rant as much, and I just did. So thank you for bearing with me, if you will. I really appreciate it, and... I hope you guys got something out of it the truth is in the middle jury is still out on that rule don't boo the players that's that's my reaction so now i'm gonna play an interview more of a conversation honestly that i had with paul catalina paul works at 1660 espn krzi here in waco covering baylor dallas cowboys all that great guy really knows his football He's a great broadcaster. I'm happy to have this conversation with him. We had this conversation on Sunday. So what you'll hear in my voice, (laughs) and I listened back to it today and was laughing, what you'll hear in my voice is the anger and the frustration and the disappointment I had with that football team on Saturday. And Paul kind of reasoned it out a little bit better because he's not a hardcore Baylor fan. And so we had a really good conversation. So you'll hear that. Immediately after that, we'll dive into the minor Minute with Andrew Miner of Bears Illustrated, and then you will hear a phone call between myself and Tom Keegan of KUSports.com and the Lawrence Journal World. Like I said, I had some personal things to attend to Sunday, so my end of the audio was also recorded over the phone. So it's not the best audio quality, but I hope you'll enjoy it. His preview on the Candace Jayhawks is really, really quality. He's one of the best guests I've had on yet this season. And I hope you enjoy that. And then that'll be it for this show. So with no more ranting from me, (laughs) here is my conversation from this past Sunday, reacting to the game, looking ahead to Kansas with Paul Catalina of KRZI, ESPN Central Texas. I'm not excited to talk about yesterday's game as part of the problem. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no.
1: That's, look, that's, you'll find that's the best one to talk about, really.
0: Well, let's let's start with the obvious. Give me your overall takeaways from yesterday's game uh, after that tough loss to Duke.
1: Well, I, I, they came out very flat, and uh, I know that Coach Rule in the press conference afterwards was uh, disappointed with their effort and the way that they, they did things. But, you know um, – I think one of the things that happens when a team goes two and zero, sometimes people can kind of get ahead of themselves that's a Duke team that's really good. It's really well-coached. Uh, they're going to beat somebody in the ACC that they've never beaten before this year. That, that's probably going to happen uh, because they are just really well-coached, especially when Daniel Jones comes back. I, I see that team beating somebody they're not probably not supposed to beat in their own conference. So, uh, you know, that's a good team that's been coached by the same person for a good long while. They have a system. They have that. Baylor does not have that yet, so they're still going to make those mistakes. So I think we saw a little bit of that inexperience, not a little bit, a lot of that inexperience, but again, I saw a lot of people on Twitter just after the coaching staff, after the coaching staff, after the coaching staff, heck, they don't coach drops. I mean, you you get four drops, especially the, the two of the ones early in the game where you know, you're talking about a big first down on the sideline by Jalen Hurd yep. uh, and then another one uh, over the middle. Which I think might have also been by Jalen Hurd. Uh, yep, it was. Yeah. You get those two drops by Jalen Hurd, that changes drives. You you score a touchdown or you kick a field goal on that first drive that you have that went so well, maybe your momentum's a little bit different. I think part of that is like they get that in their head, like, oh, okay, darn it. You know, and they go and go and go. And, you know, maybe maybe they're, you know, they're pressing on their mistakes a little too much. And that just comes with experience. Good, good experience teams. When they fumble, when they make a mistake, they get up off the mat and they go, okay, that's it next time. This team can't do that yet. Um, And they also couldn't run the ball, uh, which – that's what matt rule wants to do he wants to run an offense that's running the ball running the ball running the ball they can't do that right now i think the biggest problem is they don't have the same five guys playing all the snaps on the offensive line i think when that happens they'll start to be able to run the ball but they don't know who their five are yet he said that last monday's press conference i'm pretty sure he'll say it when i ask him again uh on this monday's press conference so i I think those are the big things i took away from yesterday
0: well So here's – because you already brought up the point that was inevitably going to come up, which is where do you put the blame, which is not fair in in most cases because you can put the blame on a number of things. But I think the reason people are irked with the coaching staff – I think there's two major reasons I can think of. Uh, But it all comes from I don't think Baylor fans are seeing what they were sold when the coaching staff got here. So number one, rules emphases, if you will – we're not going to be a penalized team. We're going to be a mentally tough team. We're going to be a physical team. Beat on all fronts in that regard yesterday. Uh you know, he said when when he got here, Yeah, we're going to be able to go up tempo when we need to. And we take 6 minutes to to score in the fourth quarter when you still have a chance to maybe get something going, you can't run uh you know, you can't snap the ball without 15 seconds on the play clock. Um, so I think it's that, that that becomes frustrating is we're 15 games into this regime's time. And, uh, and then the second thing that I was going to say, it's uh, one, it's I think we were promised things that aren't being delivered. And two, is it's the same issues we had last year. It's offensive line and it's defense giving up big play after big play after big play.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, and, and I, I certainly see that, and I, I do think that uh, it is fifteen games in. I think you need to start by the sixteenth game, and look, Kansas is hot for the first. All of time. a sudden,
0: that becomes an interesting game for, Saturday. For, for the
1: first time and ever. So, uh, I, you know, we'll we'll see uh, what happens. You know, I, I'm I'm trying not to put so much on. Look, they've won two games in a row, but so did Baylor. Baylor beat. Uh, you know, ACU and they beat UTSA, Kansas beat uh, directional Michigan school and they, on the road, by the way, uh, that they had to do that. Like who has to play a directional Michigan school on the road? Kansas. Uh, yeah. Kansas does. Uh, and then, and then they beat Rutgers. And if you told me that Kansas versus Rutgers was going to be on television at any point, like I would have been like, why would you put that on television? Uh, so, but yeah. And, and but then they drilled Rutgers, they drilled Rutgers. So, you know, Let's. they're playing well. Baylor didn't play well yesterday, but they play well two weeks ago. So, you know, what, what Baylor team are we going to see? I don't know. I do know that they, they probably had to win that one yesterday to put people's minds at ease to get to six. But if they're three and one out of the first four, then they're still in position. Um, we don't know really who anybody else is in the conference. I, I, I mean, every, everybody but Oklahoma uh, seems a little schizophrenic. You know, so...
0: West Virginia hasn't seemed schizophrenic. West
1: Virginia, I'm sorry, I always forget about them. But, again, they... they yeah, West Virginia and Oklahoma don't seem schizophrenic. Oklahoma State
0: hasn't seen schizophrenic. They haven't played anybody yet. <laughs> they, I mean,
1: they haven't played anybody yet. I mean, Boise State was the best team they played, and that was admirable, but they haven't played anybody yet. So, when Oklahoma State plays somebody, you know, when they play West Virginia, when they play TCU, TCU probably doesn't seem a little schizophrenic, but we saw that there are teams that can beat them. I don't think Baylor's going to beat them, but, you know, they're, they're, they're you know... They're not they're not in the upper echelon just yet. Uh, That was an impressive game last night, but they you know. So I don't know I don't know who they're like I don't know who Texas Tech is I I don't know who Iowa State is quite yet. Um, They've lost to two good teams in Iowa and Oklahoma. I think they're probably going to rally. So you know as you get ahead of things I don't know. Um, Let's not get ahead of it. This is a team that very much has to compartmentalize week by week, and their compartment of the Duke game they didn't do very well. They were mentally. Just kind of weak in that game. And I'm not saying that to say that the, I, don't, I think the coaching staff did a bad job. Uh, I just think that this is going to be maybe an even longer process than, than we thought because, you know, they're, they're just not there yet. And they don't, the biggest thing I see on offense is, like I said before, uh, you don't have your five offensive linemen that, you're, that are your five. Those guys, I mean, it's been on the left side, it's
0: different guys all the time. But at what point does that become a coaching thing? Because if you're going into your fourth game of the season and you're still rotating three or four dudes in and out and you haven't figured it out at this point. Well,
1: what what I'm curious to see is if Fru Morgan is healthy and in game shape, then or Valentine or both, if it's not one of them the whole time, then, then they've got a problem. And those guys were not those guys clearly weren't as good as they were were advertised to Absolutely. be. Absolutely. Um I tend to think that that one of those guys will take over. LAC Anderson's played admirably, but he's not ready yet. He doesn't If you especially if you look at his body type right now, he's not he's not cut up like they're going to want him to be. He's not uh, so they don't you don't need to rotate your left tackle. You just don't like that needs to be especially in the offensive line. Those five guys have to know where everybody's going to step, where everybody's going to go, what their tendencies are. More than any other position on the field, you have to know that right there. uh, You're five guys. If you, you know, I played that position in high school. It's in by no way a comparison, but I did play it. And I do know that when you switch sides, when it's a different person in there, it takes some time and some rhythm. And sometimes you get, everybody gets thrown off. It's, you know, if one key, one cog in the machine is off, then, you know, it can can ruin everything. I, I also think that defensively, they are better up the middle than I thought they would be. They're still a little vulnerable up there, but they really get beat on the edges badly. They either don't have the speed to get to the edges very well, or they don't have the. They're not. They're not doing it right. So I don't know which one of those two it is. Um, I think it's probably the speed. Uh, so we'll see. I think they, they. That's where they don't have those players and the secondary. I don't know what's going on with the secondary. I. I thought that was probably one of the better positions on the team. I think, I think we all did, I, 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 especially at cornerback. Yeah, Harrison Hand hasn't really played. Uh, that that's that's a big. I mean, he's he's the probably the best athlete overall on the on the team, not named Blake Lynch. And Blake Lynch has got to start making some plays. He's got to start making some plays back there. I, I, he made a couple yesterday. Um, I like Derek Thomas on the one corner. I think he's played well. Yep. Uh, he doesn't seem to get beat. Grayland Arnold has to play better. Absolutely. Uh, he has to play better. Uh, so. I do. I do wonder if they're in a position where part of it is they can't do what they want to do. So you know, as far as the depth and running people in and out, so they they are doing the best they can with it. So that when they can, it's a it's a seamless transition. But I don't know how how well that's working. And and look, I'll, I'll tell you this, and I I don't mean to like bag on the guy, but their backup middle linebacker is also the long snapper.
0: That's that's I mean that's not good. Well, and I guess that's where I wonder that they seem to love just throwing all these different guys in and out, and I don't, and maybe I just do not know football well enough, but I doubt that's the case. Why can't you every week say these are our two or three best guys on the edge and put them there? And why why is all this going on?
1: Well, I, I actually here's what, I actually agree with the coaching staff in this in theory in that I I think, and this is where Phil Bennett was deficient. Um, or where he hasn't, he hadn't adapted. I think Phil Bennett is a brilliant defensive mind. Uh, he's shown it everywhere else he's been. Uh, he, he made Baylor's defense better. But where they lost on defense when Phil Bennett was there was that he kind of got locked into about 14 guys he played, especially in the secondary. He didn't change out the secondary. And you're playing spread offenses – And he should know this because it's what Baylor did. They're running your dudes ragged, and then they're putting other guys. They're putting guys to run go routes just so you're tired. That guy's going to run a go route. He's not going to catch the ball. But guess what? Your guy's tired. Our guy's on the sideline getting a Gatorade. Ah, guess what? Now we're going to beat you. So that's why you get in those track me games. In the modern spread offense thing, you're going to have to play if they're going to play eight receivers, you have to play eight defensive backs. You have to do it. It doesn't make sense to me why you think your defensive backs are in so much better shape than their receivers that they can do twice as much. It's insane. Uh, so that's what he didn't do because he couldn't trust people. That He even said it to us. He, I can't trust them. I just feel like I can't trust them. I'm there. And he got he admitted to that. Like He kind of got tightened into a ball there. I agree with that. The problem is, is that if, you, if the guys you're running in can't do it, then you still have a problem. So that, that, all that stuff you know, kind of goes in together. I, I, I think that I like that they're running guys in and out, but if you don't have the guys to run in and out, maybe don't do it. But, again, I think that part of it is just they're trying to build it to the point where everybody gets that this is what they do so that when they do have the guys, it's a seamless transition. That just may be a little bit unrealistic.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Speaking of up-tempo offenses, I really want to address that question. There's two things that I saw on offense yesterday that I think irked a lot of people. One was we seemed to almost stick to a script and run plays in situations that didn't make sense. It looked like it almost looked like the game plan worked on the first drive, and then it, Duke figured it out, and we just stuck with the same thing that wasn't getting the ball down the field. And I understand there, there were drops and there were plays that just did not... Work, but there was there were other play calls like a third and eight. You're running it up the middle when they've been stuffing the run all day. I think running how many yards did running backs have yesterday? Was it like ten? Yeah, so, I mean something stupid. Uh, so that's the one thing I want to address about the offense. And the second is is the tempo. Is, is this seeming we're either incapable or unwilling to get the ball set, get on the line, and snap the ball? And the guys were I mean they were walking to get set in that in that fourth yeah I, quarter. I, I
1: think that's that's part of the um that was part of the the kind of vibe around the team yesterday was just that uh i think they'll be able to go up tempo eventually uh, but one of the things that matt rule has kind of stressed with this team i don't know if this team is going to win up tempo games i think if they're going to have a lead they need to hold it and grind the clock i think, Why? I think
0: what why? I mean, just because your strength on offense is a dual-threat quarterback and yeah. weapons on the outside. Yeah. Your strength on offense is not your offensive line, and, and, and your, I think the running backs Baylor has are talented, but it's not working. Yeah. So I, I don't understand, well, the up-tempo on offense won't work when it seems to me that we've got plenty of weapons on that side of the ball that would work well in that kind of system.
1: No, I, I, here's what I think. I don't think Matt, Matt Rule is really a big fan of the up-tempo offense. I think he's a fan. I, here's what I know he's a fan of. He's a fan of adjusting and doing kind of whatever it takes, what the weaknesses are. I don't think – you know. and look, neither team that Duke has played this year has run an up-tempo offense outside of – like none of the teams have run up-tempo. Army doesn't run up-tempo. Uh, Northwestern doesn't run up-tempo. So maybe Baylor should have said let's try some tempo, but –
0: but okay, but regardless, when you're in the fourth quarter and there's well, nine minutes you left, you need to.
2: You need to. And you're, you're
1: right. Yeah, when you're down by that much, you need to go faster. And they didn't go faster. And part of it, maybe they don't practice like that. Uh, I thought the knock on Art Briles' up-tempo offense was they couldn't go slow when they needed to go I, slow. You, no, that's very they, true. Actually, yeah. if you watch them yeah. on the side, if you watch them on the sideline, it was like they were getting attacked by bugs if they had to go slow. Like, oh my god! Like, please make it go. Little, oh, why, why can't we do this? It's like, no, you just go slow. You're, you can win this game if you just. There's three and a half minutes left. Do not give them the ball back. Do not – oh, you gave them the ball back. And that, and that that didn't happen that often, especially in the peak of it. But it the games they lost – Michigan well, they, State. Michigan State was because they could not slow it down. They could not – and the plus, they were just a litany of – couldn't slow it down, uh, didn't care about special teams, penalties. That was the – those were the three things that were bad about the Art Briles football system and – Michigan State game, it all happened right there. So uh, this particular one, maybe they can't speed it up. They still have the penalties. Still have special teams issues. And, and the special teams, it's everything got better yesterday except the field goals that
0: were good got bad all of a sudden. So I I don't know. Well, the returns weren't good either. Well, Outside of the opening kick return, yeah. we, we had one come out to the three. We had one come out to the 14 or the 15, yeah. one come out to the 20. I mean
1: – Well, here's the other thing. Part of that I don't – blame. It. well, it's I, the coaching staff. This is probably coaching staff. Teach them the new fair catch rule. If they yes, fair catch it, yes. it's going to 25. Like, but it's hard because you have athletes back there that want to make plays to tell them to fair catch it on a kickoff. Nobody's ever done that before. So that just this I, I watch I high school every week. I'm like, just fair catch the damn ball. Just fair catch it, fair catch it, twenty to twenty five. unless you've seen something that says this team has just a bunch of slow morons running at you, they have they'll stay in their lanes. Let's go, you know, and or you have a guy back there that is, you know that much better. you know Midway has a kid named Travius Hodges uh, who's fantastic kick returner, they're not going to have him fair catch it. But the other two guys over there, they're going to have him fair catch it. Bottom line. Uh, and I think they just need to to fair catch it. If if they're in the situation like last week where they dropped, like Tyquan Thornton dropped that one on the two, uh, after he did fair catch it, you know, just fair catch it. Fair catch it. If you're at the two, fair catch it. If you're, you know.
0: Quick side note, did you see the fake fair catch oh, that f- North f- Texas no, pulled last fantastic. night? That was fantastic.
1: That was fantastic. I, I, I was yes, dying. I've never been more impressed uh, with something in my life. And what do you a fake fair? Like, he just stood there knowing that it might work.
0: Well, yeah, he did that little, like, half jump step back, like, huh. and, and give that kind of hop thing to sell it. And yeah. he just strolls past. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to just. YouTube it. Just you, t- yes. Uh, fake fair catch, punt return, UNT, Arkansas. 90 yards. Unbelievable. 90 yards.
1: And. And those four guys just walked past him. So then he has 10 other guys to block seven guys down the field. Of those seven guys, I'm sure a couple of them were also disengaged completely and in no way could get to the play. Because there wasn't an Arkansas guy near him after he got to about the 50. So, right. yeah, it was, it was great. But, yeah, no, I, I, I do think that, yeah, special teams haven't, they haven't put together a, a full game yet. And then, of course, Duke's special teams were just really good. They had a really good punter. Had a really, really good punter, and that put Baylor behind it uh, for the almost the whole first half. Their punter, Duke's punter, was 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 one of the MVPs of that game for them because he just kept putting them at the ten, at the ten, at the ten all day long. And so, you got a really good punter like that. Sometimes you're going to win. People discount the value of a punter, but when you've got one like that, it's it's really good. You know, when 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 Baylor's had their best punters, I mean. You see, I think, and Drew Galat is a very good punter, but uh, he's not—he's not quite that good yet. That guy was just really good.
0: Let's talk about the other. What I think will be the biggest talking point this week, coming out of that game, going into Kansas, is the quarterbacks, and particularly the decision to, to go back to Jalen McClendon after Charlie Brewer had led a touchdown drive. But then Jalen led a touchdown drive. True, and and that's well—that's what's hard. But let's talk about like, does that not? Because I'm, fa- I'm not against a two-quarterback thing, especially if it's consistent. But does that not take any momentum or confidence out of a guy? I wish they would stick with one.
1: I, I, I'm not of the belief that if you have two, you have none. I, I, think, I think sometimes that that's different. Uh, but I do think that it played itself out yesterday where, you know, as at the UTSA game, it looked like Charlie had kind of taken control. Well, yesterday in the first half, it didn't look like he had. I mean, really didn't. You know, so and Jalen, Jalen got hurt, and so it threw him off, and all that. But I do think that like a lot of what they what happened yesterday, at least, fed into the that Baylor needs to keep doing the two quarterback rotation until someone takes it because both of them were about equal yesterday. I mean, they're about. I mean, Charlie, I think, is a little bit better. Was a little bit better, but. To the point before he led the the touchdown drive in which he had the sneak, he was less than fifty percent passing. So, if you're the coaching staff, you got to think, well, maybe we got to get Jalen in here, who was right at fifty percent. So they they just both weren't playing all that great. The offense wasn't playing that great. So nothing had happened until either touchdown drive to make you think that they should have stopped doing it. Other than the UTSA game, but that game's gone, and you'd already kind of committed to this. I do think eventually that they will stick with one. So we'll see. And, you know, I think they probably should have stuck with Charlie later on. But then Jalen leads the touchdown drive. Throws that great pass to, to Tyquan Thornton. So I don't know. I mean, it, everything yesterday, like a lot of things point to going with one, but enough happened yesterday to probably validate what they think is, well, they're both kind of playing the same-ish.
0: I need to go watch the game again because I felt like Charlie played a lot better for the majority of the game. I didn't realize he was under fifty percent. Under fifty percent.
1: He was under fifty percent in the third quarter. Right. So, you know, I, I didn't really like, and I like, I thought the same thing. Right. And then I'm, I'm, you know, I was, I was in the press box, and I was going to get a bottle of water, and I heard uh, John and JJ, and JJ's reading the stats, and he's under fifty percent at that point, and. You know, it wasn't way under 50. It wasn't like three of 13, but he was under 50%. Yeah. So, and I granted some of those were drops, but uh, I, I, I I, was like, okay, well, that kind of validates it. Of course, Jalen had also been out for a little bit. And, you know, that I think eventually one of them, probably Charlie will, will take it and run with it. But Jalen plays well enough to where you, you do have to give it a look. Uh, I think that... For the I don't think you can do it when you get to
0: Oklahoma. Does I just the, don't. Does and I know it's one play. Does the pick six not scare you?
1: Ah, it was at the end of the game they're trying to they're trying to do some things. I mean, it's not like Charlie wouldn't have done the same thing. I mean he
0: You, you know. say that, but but he's got a reputation for being accurate and not turning the ball over. Yeah, well I mean that's his that is that is why he's a college quarterback. Is he's mobile and he doesn't turn the ball over. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean look, find me a quarterback is I'm throwing a pick six. So you know, that was a really bad decision last night. I mean, it was, it was not a bad decision. It was a bad throw. But he's also made some really good ones. So it's the first one he's thrown. I mean, I, like, I try not to to put everything out. Like, it was just a, it was in a really bad spot. But they were trying to get back in the game. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know that Charlie Brewer wouldn't have thrown that pick six. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know if he would have forced that throw on a, what, a second and nine or whatever it was. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, yeah, it was a really bad throw and not that great of a decision. And look, Jalen McClendon isn't starting at NC State because Ryan Finley is there. I don't know if he was, if if Ryan Finley was at the same ability level as Charlie Brewer, if he would be starting at NC State. I have no idea. But Ryan Finley is going to be a first couple, probably a second day draft pick, uh, maybe even a first day draft pick when these things get set and done. So that's why he wanted to go play someplace. He's played really well. In spurts, uh, so they've given him a shot. I just, I, I still think eventually they're going to settle into Charlie Brewer because he gives them some dimensions they don't have. But you know, when he's in there and he's making throws, there's throws he makes that Charlie Brewer cannot make right now, and I think that's what keeps them going. Well, I mean that throw. I mean the throw he made to Tyquan Thornton in the end zone yesterday. Charlie awesome. Brewer doesn't make yeah. that throw. For not sure. yet, for sure. He's close. He's just not there yet. Yeah. So I think that's that's also the like the little bit of the drug of like, ooh, hey, look at that. Right. So, again, they probably need to... And this is the case across the board. It's kind of a a repeated theme. Offensive line, quarterback, you know, rotations on defense. Pick the guys who are going to be the guys and go with it and get some consistency. And on defense, if you need to run in more guys, that's fine. But if the guys you're running in can't do it, don't run them in anymore. Right. You know?
0: Okay, so suddenly... You have a Kansas football team coming in who I think every person on the planet marked as a W. Yeah. And I think I still today wake up and feel it's a W, but suddenly they come in, regardless of who they've beaten, they're feeling better than they felt since 2011, which was the last time they won consecutive football games. I think trap game is an understatement at this point. What, what does Baylor have to do this week in order to come out of that game with a win? Because if you lose to Kansas, it's over. I mean, the season's over. Yeah. Any, any hope of a bowl game at that point is is gone. No,
1: I mean your 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 best hope is probably for four or five. I mean, you're not going to get to six. I don't think if you lose to Kansas, um, you could get to four or five, and that's all. That's all. Every. I mean, this year's already an improvement by a game. So what kind of improvement you make is very much hindering on this Kansas game. Getting refocused, not taking them for granted. They're not going to take them for granted now. I mean, they're going to sit there and watch the film, especially yesterday, and watch a Kansas team that played really hard and, and, and took advantage of opportunities and took advantage of every Rutgers mistake. So you can't make mistakes. This is There are teams that are good enough to overcome mistakes. Baylor's not good enough to overcome mistakes, so they just can't make them. That's, I think, the first thing you need to see. Like, forget everything we – every single thing we've talked about, the coaching staff, the, the, the decisions, all that. If they just punt on every drive, that they don't score on they probably they probably are a lot closer yesterday if they just I mean of course there's no pick six there's no if you just punt or you know trying to win at the end of the game if you go out on downs that game is 33 27 and not 40 to 27 you know if you just don't do that if you don't drop passes even if you don't get the first down if you just punt things are a lot different so don't make mistakes punting sucks everybody hates punting But it's not a bad thing. Punting means like, all right, this didn't work. Next time, go. Don't allow a big punt return. Stop. Don't make mistakes. Don't commit the penalties, and you're not. Some teams can have 15 penalties in a game. It doesn't even face them. But those teams are really... Ohio State, for example, the year they won the national championship, they committed a lot of penalties. In the national championship game, they committed some stupid ones. didn't matter. They were just too good. All right, it's first and 20. We got 19. It's not second to one. It was going to be second to one anyway. Big deal. This team isn't that good. So you can't make those mistakes. That's the, the biggest thing is the players just can't make those mistakes. Not scoring on a drive. You're not going to score on every drive. Baylor family will tell you this. I understand that for two years they scored on almost every drive. That's unrealistic with this team. They're not going to do that. But if they don't make mistakes, it's fine. They'll, like, they'll be better if they just don't do that. And it's on the coaching staff to, like, coach that out of them a little bit. It's also on the players just to stop doing stupid stuff.
2: I'm just so bummed out, man. That, that, I, I know. Look,
1: I understand that for fans, you got some two-game momentum. You, I also think that people thought, like, oh, it's Duke. They couldn't be good two years in a row. Eh, well, no, but here's the deal. So the if- quarterback's out, and they got a little more excited. Oh, but,
0: you know. I think, I think what was so frustrating for me is I picked us to lose, actually, uh, in uh, the uh, Bears Illustrated article that came out a couple, a couple days before the game. Uh, I picked us to... And I, I I was like, you know, this Duke team... And it was mostly their defense is freaking legit. Yeah. Uh, but I expected it to be a four-point game. And I know, well, if we hit field goals, as a four... Oh, well, if we... But we didn't. And we, we didn't look close. Like, I actually think the score makes it look closer than it was. I felt like they played just... Well, especially miles the, ahead of. Well, us.
1: especially when you take out, if it was a very much a game of two halves. You right. know, If you take out the unmotivated kind of sloppy play in the first half, but you can't. So Duke played a four quarter game. Baylor played a two quarter game. That was the difference. They played. They essentially played twice as good. And you know the the score was maybe a little less indicative of that because it was a thirteen point game, uh, which with, with a pick six on the last you know drive, so or the second to last drive technically, but. You know what? It played out like a team, a team that knows knows what it's doing. Duke knows what they're doing. Baylor doesn't know what they're doing yet, and it's probably a little distressing that 15 games into the Matt Rule regime, there's still some guys who don't know what they're doing. But uh, also, Duke is playing with a lot of redshirt juniors and seniors, and I think I think that showed itself too. Is that you know you've got some of these guys out there that just aren't really that experienced. I also think Denzel Mims not playing really, really hurt them yesterday uh, because the guy, I mean, Pooh dropped a pass and I'm surprised, I mean, he, I'm glad he's back and playing, but Poop Strickland dropped a pass and uh, which would have been a first down and, you know, they, they just didn't have, like they didn't have, he's, Denzel Mims is a really amazing player and they didn't have him to go along with Hurd and Platt um, and Platt, uh, you know, they they. They didn't let Platt get loose all that much yesterday. So uh, Duke did a good job on everybody, and including Hurd. Including, so I think Denzel Mims that just adds that little boost. Sometimes you can have a guy not play for a week, and it'll be fine. He could have not played against UTSA, and I know he made some plays against UTSA. They probably would have still won that game. Not going to play against Duke. That's going to hurt you.
0: Hmm. So tell me this. How do you see the rest of the season going? And I ask you mostly because you said you still think this team can get to six, and I had this as a must-win if we were going to get to six.
1: Well, I I just don't. I say three and one was the floor of what they could be going to get to six because I don't know that I don't know that they can't go out and beat Kansas State. I don't know if I don't know what Tech is going to be week to week. I mean, I know they scored sixty-three points against what I thought was a really good Houston team yesterday, uh, and one. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who. You know, teams are going to be when they see them. Uh, I do know now though that like Oklahoma State's got a really good offense. Okay, uh, and even though Taylor Cornelius is not that great, that's probably a the game they're going to win. I I mean Oklahoma, they played really well against last year and almost almost shocked the world. It felt like for a while. But again, that team's just so deep and so good. They're not even playing with their best player right now, and Rodney Anderson. And, well, and still, I, I really might argue
0: good. that Kyler Murray actually matches up better against Baylor's defense right now than Baker did. Well, with I mean, his with his running ability.
1: Yeah, I mean, and Baker could run, but Kyler can really run. I mean, Kyler I'm more impressed with the way he's passing the ball right now, which I didn't think was was in his was in his bag. But, uh, I don't know. Look. Texas beat the hell out of UC, USC last night. But I have no faith that that team is going to be that good week to week. No faith. None. So that's not a team that I say right now Baylor's going to beat, but I do think that's a team that you know, isn't that isn't that great, you know. So, you know, Tech, Kansas State, Texas, Iowa State's one and two, you know, I, I know they're really well coached, but I don't I don't know what they're going to be. I mean, that Baylor almost won that game last year. So, I don't know what those teams are going to be. I know that TCU, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and West Virginia, let's just not entertain that right now until something happens in the moment of those particular games that go, oh, hey. Because you never know what's going to happen week to week in college football. You never know. But I do think that this team still has a chance to get to a bowl game. It's, it's taken a significant hit. A, I mean, it, it's a, they needed to be 4-0 so they could just have to take two Now they have to take, you know, if they're three and one, if they beat Kansas, which was not an if before last week, if they beat Kansas, then they got to find three that's a lot harder in this conference of which they are not even in the middle of. So we'll see. I think they still can. It's just, I mean, there's a dent in that plan.
3: My dad would often give me advice or encouragement by using the metaphor, just push the ball across the goal line. This is a very simple piece of advice with a clear goal. However, it can be vague depending on what your task at hand is. For example, if your goal is to solve for X or memorize the 50 capitals of the United States, then there are concrete ways on how to get that ball across the goal line. On the other hand, if your task is to write a persuasive history research paper or close a business contract, then the way to score is is much more fluid as there's no true unified method. This advice is perfect for the Baylor Bears, whose literal goal is to get the ball in the end zone. And there is a predetermined structure on how to transport the ball legally from one end of the field to the other. However, there are hundreds of different ways, like interceptions and block punts, to get the ball in the end zone. And the methodologies within these ways to accomplish that task vary greatly from team to team and coach to coach. Baylor is in need of advice, and that advice is to get the ball in the end zone more times than the other team. They must find a way to win, but the players are going to have to find a way to win on their own and step up. Somebody has to step up and be a leader, a motivator, to serve as a catalyst for victory. So often, this is at the quarterback position. However, Rule is still playing both quarterbacks because he said time and again that the quarterback position isn't the Bears' problem and that he trusts both of his guys. And whether Baylor plays one or both quarterbacks, others will have to step up around either McClendon or Brewer. Perhaps that's someone in the receiving core, or maybe it's a running back, offensive lineman, somebody on the defensive side of the ball. Against Duke, there was a snowball effect where negative play on top of negative play kept happening, and it gave a feeling by late second quarter of, oh, here we go again. But Baylor flipped the script in the second half with big leadership-style turning-point plays by Tycon Thornton and Christian Morgan with the block punt. Still, the Bears had too many miscues, drop passes for the upteenth time, not getting off blocks, missed assignments, penalties before both field goal misses, and a botched PAT. The season is young for Baylor, but it looks darker and bleaker now after the 40-27 loss to Duke. Baylor has to prove to me that they can indeed win again. And in order to do so, in order to push that ball across the goal line, multiple leaders and multiple positions will have to step up. Second Bears.
2: Well, why don't we start with this. Tell me about these two big wins that I, I look down on my phone at my app and I see Kansas, the Kansas Jayhawks are just rolling in these last two games. Tell us the story there.
4: Well, the story is they've got a a back named Puka Williams, a freshman from the New Orleans area, and he has completely enlivened the offense and really changed the confidence level of the whole program. uh, He's just such a dynamic player. He's so fast. He cuts so quickly. He gets to top speed so quickly that for pound for pound, it's, it's just amazing to see the difference. A hundred and seventy pound, hundred seventy pound freshman is made on this football team. Incredible!
2: How's the team feeling right now? They got to feel pretty.
4: The yeah, they're they've
2: won uh, consecutive games since twenty eleven.
4: Yeah, since the first two games of twenty eleven, this is their first two games winning streak, and they're playing with confidence. I mean, two weeks in a row they have six takeaways. That's wow. unheard of. Yeah, so now David Beatty has won uh, five. Games at Kansas, and in three of those, the team has had six takeaways. The overtime victory against Texas in Lawrence, uh, the last two games, uh, this, this season, they've had six takeaways. So, and the three different guys in the Kansas secondary have a pick six this season. So that's pretty amazing because that secondary was a weak area last year.
2: Yeah, so other than uh, this breakout running back, who are uh, three or four other players that Baylor fans are going to want to get ready to watch this coming Saturday?
4: Uh, Joe Janine is
2: uh, ranking among the leaders in the nation in
4: tackles. He's a linebacker for Kansas. He last year led the nation in tackles, I believe, which could be a good or bad thing. I mean, it means your defense is out there a lot. But he's he's one guy that you would look at. Daniel Wise hurt his knee against Rutgers, came back and played one play. He's a defensive tackle who's, you know, an all-league candidate. He's probably their, maybe their best player on the defense here, Uh Mike Lee is a safety who's known as a really, really hard hitter, and he had a pick six against uh, Rutgers. Uh, those are a few guys on the defense to keep an eye out on. Uh, and then uh, offensively, Running backs are the story. Puka Williams is terrific, but uh-huh. also Khalil Herbert rushed for 291 yards against West Virginia last year, and yesterday, the first time he touched the ball, it was a 59-yard touchdown, uh, and he, he's another guy to keep an eye on. And uh, Steven Sims is their best receiver. He's a senior, not off to a great start, but is climbing up the charts of all-time receivers at Kansas.
2: So if I tell you, I don't know how much Baylor football you've watched, I don't expect you've watched much. Uh, and you shouldn't have any reason to, but Baylor's biggest weakness, in my opinion, this season thus far, has been stopping the big play run. That's got to get you fired up a little bit up in Lawrence.
4: Well, that does play to the strength of Kansas football, definitely. Puka Williams has touchdown runs of 20, 41, and 52 yards. Uh, As I just mentioned, Khalil Herbert has a 59-yard touchdown run and their fourth back, Deron Thompson, he's behind Dom Williams. uh, He had a 55-yard touchdown run yesterday and Dom Williams can break long runs also. So that is absolutely what Kansas does best, particularly Puka Williams that the Baylor defense will be spending a lot of time paying attention to.
2: How much of that credit goes to the offensive line?
4: Well, I think... um. You know, I grew up in Rochester, New York, when O.J. was playing for the Bills, and that offensive line got a nickname, the electric company. Everybody knew their names, Reggie Uh McKenzie and Joe Delamelier. Well, they were good, but I think a great person in the backfield, like Todd Riesing when he was the quarterback at Kansas, like O.J. at at USC and at at the Bills, a, a, a great back who's quick, and decisive, it's going to make the offensive line look better. The line is better than a year ago. It's gelling. They have some graduate transfers there, so they do deserve some credit as well, but uh they will be the first to tell you, uh, Puka doesn't need a very big hole, so they, they just need to do their job and don't have to hold their blocks for very long, uh, and he'll take care of the rest.
2: What are some weaknesses remaining on this Kansas team that they will need to uh, plug away at and, and improve upon as, as they're getting ready to go into Big 12 play?
4: Well, the receivers have not done a good job of getting open. That's one thing right off the bat. Um, so they haven't amassed much of a passing attack. It's been more of a, a successful ground game. And then uh, defensively, they haven't applied a big pass rush yet. So uh, there's a couple things uh, to look for um, as far as weaknesses.
2: And uh, coming into this game, uh, you you know, you're coming to Waco, so I know it's a little bit of a longer trip. Uh, Obviously, Kansas football has struggled for a few years now. Um, Baylor, though, is coming off a one-win season and had a really, really tough loss, did not play well against. What are you expecting to see on Saturday, and where are two or three uh, match-ups that you're excited to watch?
4: Well, uh, you know, I was a little bit surprised that uh, Baylor was a nine-and-a-half point favorite. I thought maybe it would be something more like six-and-a-half, but Baylor did come in to Lawrence last year and beat Kansas 38-9. to But this is a different Kansas football team. Uh, the defense got some JUCOs. Uh, Beatty recruited 14, uh, junior college players and five graduate transfers. He's all in on this season to save his job. The defense is playing much better. It's a very experienced defense. And, uh, Puka Williams is really, you gotta pay so much attention to him that it opens up plays for others. Uh, so it's a different team. I, I, I would not be surprised to see Kansas come in here. And win this game. I really wouldn't, and I wouldn't have thought I'd said that before the game, uh, before the season, I mean. But, uh, Puka Williams, who did not play in the first week, uh, it really has changed this team. So, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, as far as matchups, I'm looking forward to seeing the Kansas secondary against a, a Baylor quarterback who shredded them last year in Los uh-huh. so That'll be a fun matchup to watch. And then, just uh what Baylor does, uh, which is probably the fastest defense Kansas has played this year, what Baylor does against Booker Williams.
2: That's great. And uh what would this, if Kansas is able to come into Waco and get the win Saturday, what is that going to feel like in Lawrence not starting, not only having a winning record, but being three and one? Dude, dude, does the bowl chatter start at that point? Like, like, what are we looking for if, if Kansas is able to win this game? How exciting is that?
4: Hey, it is exciting, and I think that would start the bowl chatter because you win a Big 12 game, that's significant. I mean, and right. you beat a team that beat you 38-9 to last year, playing a lot of freshmen who are now sophomores, that's significant. So if they were to do that, it would be, uh, yeah, it would be very significant. And, uh would maybe even motivate some people to go out and see the football team. They only drew 28,000 in there uh, against Rutgers, which which surprised me because we had written so much about Puka Williams and what he did against Central Michigan. I thought on a sunny day that would draw people out there, but I guess they had to take their kids to games and stuff. That's the problem of the 11 o'clock
2: kickoff. <laughs> well, and my, my last question is uh, just for you personally, and I, I'm just curious if you could describe to us I don't think a lot of people in Texas, anywhere in the state of Texas, can comprehend what it must be like to try to go to and cover a football game at a decidedly basketball, uh, not only a basketball school, but a very just basketball-rich tradition and and area. What what is that? What's the dynamic of that like, covering football at a place where it is not the number one uh, priority?
4: Well, I, I think, um I enjoy college football a lot. And when they had it going under Mark Mangino and they were 12 and one, in the Orange Bowl, so Yeah, this, this town was never more amped. Everyone was in a great mood because the basketball's been so successful. It's almost like when they win a game, people are relieved. When the football was that good, everybody was really jacked. Just felt like, uh, they were experienced what it truly feels like to be a college football school, and and then uh, things have gone south since then, and maybe it's turning, maybe the program is turning around right now.
2: All right. Well, hey, Tom, that was fantastic. Uh, I appreciate it. Anything else uh, you'd like to say you think Baylor fans might be interested to know before I let you go today?
4: Well, I'll tell you, I look forward to Baylor. That's all I'm going to say, because that view there is beautiful. I mean... Right there on the river, they really nailed it with their new stadium. I, I think it, they did a great job. Yeah, we were.
2: I was actually talking about that yesterday with my family. It's, it's something, isn't it? Love it. We love being down there by the river. It's great. A yeah, lot it is. Than, a lot better than what we had before. <laughs> yeah,
4: and cool uniforms for Baylor, too. I like that color scheme. All right. Well, hey, Tom,
2: this has been a pleasure. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to Please Bear With Me this week. I really appreciate it. I hope to see you all at McLean Stadium on Saturday as we take on the Jayhawks. I'll be cheering loud and proud. I hope you will be as well. Please Bear With Me is brought to you by Bears Illustrated over at Baylor 247. Thanks to my man Tim Watkins over there. Thanks to Iron Kids for all the music you heard on today's podcast. Go check them out, Iron Kids, on SoundCloud. I've been Scotty Swingler, and this is Please Bear With Me.